Alright guys, welcome to CLD Talks, I'm your host Connor Maxwell. Today we're going to be giving you an insight into Amputee Football Association Scotland and we've got the CEO with us, Ashley Reid, and we also have Michael Lennon who is a participant and a CLD professional. I hope you guys enjoy this conversation and without further ado, here's Ashley and Michael. So it'd be great Ashley if you could just tell us a wee bit about yourself first and then we'll go on to Michael. Hi there, Connor. Uh, lovely to be here. Um, so my name is Ashley Reid. I'm CEO and founder of Amputee Football Association Scotland. Um, we've been running it since about 2017 when we when we set it up. Um, and Michael's one of our players. Um, so yeah, I've, I've had a sort of bit of a baptism of fire of, of getting into sort of working in disability sport, which wasn't really my background. Um, my day job, so to speak, is is working for a youth work charity. Ocean Youth Trust Scotland, which delivers um, youth work at sea through residential voyages on, on boats. So um, I've got a bit, a bit of a, um, a varied uh, repertoire to what I do, um, but the amputee football is, is it's really growing and something that we hope is going to develop even further post-COVID. Brilliant. It sounds amazing. It does sound amazing. So Michael, could you tell us a wee bit about yourself? Yeah, uh, so my name is Michael Lennon and I'm a manager with Youth Farm Community Learning Service in South Lanarkshire. And also, you should probably say just off the back corner that we are colleagues and we've known each other for quite a long time. So I think I'm going to take a wee grain of kind of credit for this podcast because I think it was one of the original ones you actually kind of pitched us to. Uh, you were the first. You were the first. Uh, so I'm glad to see it's, it's been such a success and thanks for having us on as well. I really appreciate it. Um, so, yeah, I've been involved in um, CLD since I was actually trying to work out when from. It's from like 1996. So at that time, I'm not going to go through everything from 1996 to 2021, by the way, so don't panic too much. You know, I'm kind of <laughs> at times, but so I'm not going to go through everything, but just, just a bit of context about how I kind of started out. Um, the reason I remember it's 1996, it was June, just after the Euros in, in England. So it was just a, a few kind of months after that. Um, at that time, I'd, I'd finished school the year before, done reasonably well at school, but not great. Um, and I actually went to uni to do computing. Now, computing isn't actually a thing. I think, I think it's called IT now, because back in the day, it wasn't called that. It was called computing. And I can actually kind of hear the guffaws of people who know me, the idea that I actually went and done computing for uh, a year at uni. Um, so it turned out, not to surprise to anyone, I was absolutely hopeless at it. Um, so I kind of left there. It was a bit of a loose end, and I ended up as a receptionist at the Stuart Returning School Bride for three days. Three days of my life, I was a, I was a receptionist. I was the world's worst receptionist. I wasn't very good at it, um, which again is probably not a surprise to end either. And the actual hotel that I worked in was knocked down a few years later. So I don't know if that was a kind of causality thing. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. So that, at that point, I was drifting just like a lot of young people will be. I was 19. Um, and my mum actually said to me, You need to sort my life. So you need to start doing volunteer work. Go up to that key youth centre. That's how she termed it. Go up to that key youth centre, which I'd never actually been as a young person. Um, so I went there um, and basically from there started volunteering and the kind of interesting we we think from that and don't worry we'll move on in a second was when i actually went into the youth center for the first time you know i was i was 19 you know at a loose end and the first person i met was a guy called frank thompson who you'll know very well he's, he's actually mm -hmm. now all these years down the line he's one of my colleagues actually share an office with him and um, he was the first guy i met and he's a youth worker i think i think he was a, a sessional youth worker at the time and obviously we're going to talk about you know the amputee side of things and, and, all, and all that and you know i, I was going there a wee bit like can I do this if I've got one leg? Because it's, it seemed like quite a physical job. So I'm not sure if I'll actually be able to go ahead and do this. So the first guy I met was Frank. And I remember people who know the key certainly you come and you turn left and then there's a ramp and you go downstairs. So can I introduce myself? I'm interested in volunteering. 
And Franklin said, look, I'll give you a tour of the centre. Brilliant, okay. It's a big, huge, you probably haven't seen it actually. It's a big, huge kind of purpose-built good centre. Um, it's, it's actually like I'm, I've been the main fiction in Scobride for what, 30, 40, 50 years or whatever. So um, in fact, I think it's 50 years now. Um, so I'm walking down the ramp and I kind of said to Frank, I've got one leg. Is that, a, is that going to be a big deal? And he just laughed at me, like not in a bad way. He just laughed and said, of course it's not. I mean, what, what difference is that going to make? You're just here to talk to young folk and get to young folk and build up relationships and all that. So if I've got one leg, what make any difference to end? So kind of, we speak a lot in our service about the, the kind of thing about the first impression that somebody gets when they come into a centre. Now I'm 19, reasonably confident young person. Um, you think about a young person coming in who's got vulnerabilities or somebody who's maybe an ESOL learner, somebody who's maybe a Syrian refugee coming in and that first contact they have makes such such a huge difference to their life moving forward potentially. Because if I didn't have, if I had had a completely different experience going into that centre for the first time, who knows where I'd be 20 years down the line. You know, my career path might, have been, might not have had a career. You just don't know. So again, that's why these things are, I think, I think so important. Yeah, definitely. And then you've worked your way through um, from volunteer yeah. professional to where you are now. Yeah, so I'd, I'd done voluntary work for a bit and then uh, ended up sessional. And then I went I went to uni. Um, I went back to uni to do something a bit more suited to me. So I went and done social science and then done a, an honours in social policy. Um, and then got a full-time job um, with, it was Youth Learning Services back then. Then I went back to uni to do a postgraduate. And then I've, I've, I've kind of just been involved basically since then. So um, so no, it's been an interesting journey, I suppose. And, and I think... I think most people we work with kind of come through the ranks in that way. They start as either a young person or volunteer, then they kind of come through the system. I mean, my background is very much youth work, but um, obviously, um, particularly restructuring, one thing, I've been involved in family learning and, and adult learning and all those things as well. And I've also done a bit of election part-time over the years as well, so that, that's, been, that's been interesting as well. So, yeah, and, and that's it. And I play empty football. Brilliant. Nice one, man. And as you know, the, the first impressions is, is the most important thing. Because if you don't, if it sets off on the wrong foot, people will only come back. So I think having yeah. that is extremely important, both in CLD, but really, and most things that we do, if somebody yeah, doesn't absolutely. give you a nice welcoming, then you're going to be like, well, I'm not going back to that. So, oh, brilliant. Yeah. So just be great then. Um, no, everybody will, I'm quite fortunate, I think, that I know about amputee football just for knowing Michael. Um, but it'd be great if you could just give us a wee bit of context about the sport and um, how it sort of really works. and. Well, maybe just tell you the rules. That might be a decent starting point, just to give a bit of context. So, the the game is seven aside. In the main, it's seven aside. There are some variations to that, but in the main, it's seven aside. When you go to Ireland, they 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 play five aside, but it's, in a, it's actually on a seven aside pitch, and it's not like a five side court or like that. And um, the, the pitch size, I don't know the exact dimensions, but it's not goal to goal as in a normal size pitch. It's kind of touch light to touch light. You know, so it's a big space. It's essentially a seven-side pitch. Um, it's a normal football. No, no, no differences there. You generally play, uh, play in AstroTurf. Then they may know you can play in grass. We have played, played in grass before in, in Ireland. I know in, in Europe quite often they play in grass as well. Um, obviously, you're on your crutches, so you don't wear your prosthetic leg. Um, you're on crutches, which can cause is obviously quite difficult to control a football when you're on crutches, one thing or another. Um, if the ball hits your crutch, it's seen as handball. Um, although that is a bit like normal football, there's ongoing debate about bolly hand, handy ball type things. So, mm-hmm. um, so we maybe need VAR introduced in empty football. Actually, I don't know if we can maybe organise that. Um, <laughs> so, so that that's and I've given away a few penalties where I'm like, uh, the ball just hit me, and it's like, no, you moved, you're crushing. It was an unnatural position. So you have the same debates in empty football as you do in, in normal football. Um, there's no offsides. The games are. 50 minutes, international games are 50 minutes, um, so 25 minutes each half. 
There are some variations in terms of leagues. So some games are maybe half an hour, um, 15 minutes each way. It just depends. Um, in England, they, they play where two players outfield can either can, can actually have two legs. But what this is where it gets to be a bit like what you're talking about. They can have one arm and two legs outfield, um, or they can be prosthetic, but they're only allowed two touches at a time, um, and and they're only allowed to be in one half. I think, if I remember right, that's the only league I think actually from right in, in, in Europe where they can do that. It's, it's, it's mostly yeah. crutches, and, and internationally, it's all, all crutches as well. Mm. Um, the goalkeepers. Again, this this is where people start looking at you funny when you tell folk this this, this kind of stuff. <laughs> the, the goals are smaller than normal goals, but the goalkeeper has to have one arm. Um, so they will usually have two legs and one arm, or they'll have some sort of thing going on that they, they have to kind of you know they, they can't use their arm properly or whatever. Um, so our, our goalie Porty is a really good guy. He's he's, he's a really good uh, goalkeeper as well. Um, and that's that's pretty much the context about how the actual sport itself operates. So how did you get into amputee football? So, um, I think anti football. How long has it been in Scotland? Actually, is it four or five so, years? So it was about yeah, it was twenty seventeen that we officially sort of set up anti football association Scotland. Yeah. Um, so the first I'm, thing. No, no I was just going to say I was going to um, so yeah, we set up in twenty seventeen, and it had never existed in Scotland before, had it? I mean, it was uh, no. it, it just didn't exist at all. So. There were a couple of people, um, amputees in Scotland, that heard about it being played in England and were kind of travelling, you know, 100, 200 miles to go down and train with a team in England. And why didn't it exist in Scotland? I don't know. Um, I, I don't know why it hadn't, but we just thought, well, there's, there's clearly a bit of a demand there um, from the sporting community and the disability community. So um, I guess to, to rewind a wee bit at the time, I was working for a national amputee charity called Finding Your Feet, an amazing great big national charity that sports um amputees particularly sort of socially and through some sports and recreational activities and thing and i was working there as pr director and heard about some of our uh sort of members who were traveling down to, to train down in england and i thought oh, i've got to introduce this up here so we did a pilot project um which was really really successful with a great turnout of all ages um, and we just thought, let's do this. Let's do this up in Scotland. Um, I went to the SFA and said, look, no one's doing this. Um, if we introduce it here, can we sort of get your support? And, and they absolutely embraced it. They, they loved it and said, go for it. We'll absolutely endorse this. Think it's brilliant. And that was really when it when it took off, wasn't it, Mick? Um, and yeah, yeah we yeah. mm-hmm, set up. Bus- went to Partick Thistle, first of all, which is very... We kept out of the old firm uh, for obvious reasons, and, and um, although they were very, very supportive, um, and we went to Park at Thistle because it's such a community club, um, you know, it, it, it's kind of seen as on the fence, so we went to them, um, hooked up with a guy called Paul Kelly, who's head of the um, Charitable Trust at Park at Thistle, and we thought, let's do this, and as I say, at the time, I was working as PR director at Finding Your Feet, and I thought, actually, this is taking up all my time, so I left there with, with their blessing and, and, and set up Amputee Football Association Scotland and that was, that was it, kind of building on from then, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. My, my first experience of it was, I, I, um, I actually seen it, it was on, I think you must have been you know, doing a PR thing actually because it was on Report in Scotland or like some such programme and it came on the television and it, I think you were in it and I think Brian, Brian Murray, our, our captain, he, he, he was in it as well. And do you know what we are looking at? Like I, I love football, you know, I've always, always loved football. Um, Obviously, when I was growing up, I was—I was—I'm not actually an amputee. I was—I was born with one leg, so I've had prosthetics based my life. So, I mean, growing up as a young person, I couldn't—I played football until I was maybe 10 or 11. But the legs just get heavier and heavier, and then you just couldn't—you weren't mobile enough. 
So I've I've always I've always kind of loved football. So I've seen that, and I was like, that that's um, that looks pretty cool. Because the only real exercise I was getting at the time was swimming, and I know a lot of people enjoy swimming. I'm not a bad swimmer, but it kind of bores me to death. As the yeah. truth, you know? <laughs> we've actually got a guy on the team, Ian, who I think he was a Commonwealth Par- uh, Paralympic. Um, he's a, he's a triple um, Olympic medalist. Yeah, so yeah. he won a medal in Atlanta, in Barcelona, in, in swimming, and he was also, I think, the first person to sort of swim for both sort of disability, but also sort of mainstream. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, he's, yeah, he's super successful swimmer. He's amazing. But but he hates swimming. You should hear him yes. talk about it. He's like, I'm never going to be the water ever again. It's hilarious. And he's like, you've had, there's actually footage off on YouTube doing do the thing and all the rest of it. And he hates. So I, I'm a bit like, I'm a, I don't. It's not something I particularly enjoy. I say football's always a big thing for me. My dad always kind of tells a story of, I mean, going back to when I was kind of born, it's 1977. So obviously things have changed a lot. So when I was born with one leg, I didn't have a stump or anything like that. So. They, you know, my mum dad tell me this, I kind of recall this story quite a lot. And they were told at the time, he probably won't be able to walk. You know, there's a, there's a strong possibility again, come back, you come back, you know, come back for 43 years. So when my dad went to work, my mum kind of put the prosthetic on me. So it was a kind of cast, so it comes, comes, it's still, still to this day. I mean, technology's changed quite a lot, but not in terms of the, the way it kind of sits on you. So I've got a cast that comes basically around my stomach and I attach it that way. It was just a kind of velcro thing, so it's, it is very basic. Now, if you think about when you're one or two, you don't want you don't want that thing inhibiting you. So, my mum was kind of demented all day, basically. You know, and then my dad would come home and take it off me, and my dad would be the hero. So, the way my dad tried to kind of figure it out, the way they got me to move in the prosthetic, he got a football and put it far away enough from me that I couldn't actually get to it without <laughs> walking. So that was his. That so that was my kind of. I wouldn't yeah. say introduction to football, but um, football's been always been a big deal. Like my dad's life, my dad was a mm-hmm. huge Celtic fan, travelled around Europe, the world, uh, watching Celtic. He actually went to the wrong European Cup final, the one that got beat. He didn't go to Lisbon; he went to Milan to the one that actually got scudded. So, so there you go. So, just oh. grown up, just uh, just grown up. You know, football was football was a big thing. So, I actually phoned in that thing. There, there was I think was you, know, you could go on the website, and I went on the website, and it was actually Brian Murray's, who's our, our captain, really good guy as well. Um, I gave him a phone and I was like, <clears throat> I'm interested in this, but it kind of, it looks, it looks, I, I'm not sure about it. And he kind of said, look, come down and give it a try. There's guys come from, I think it was Everton, Man City, actually, if I remember right. Yep, yep. Um, so I tried to bring the game to Scotland. So why don't you come down, give it a go and, and see and see how you do. And Brian at that time played for Everton and um, a, a really successful team down in England. So I was like, okay, I'll give it a go. So I drove down to Ann and, um, <clears throat> and I, I mean, I have to say like, it wasn't what I expected. It was. It was. I can only describe it as an absolute attack in the senses, to be quite honest with you. Because it, you can assume you see people about in crutches, they tend to have obviously mobility issues or they've had an accident, so they move slowly. So you kind of again falsely. My fact, bear in mind, I've never used crutches in my life. I've always used prosthetics. Never, never used. Never ever used crutches at all up to that point. And the thing that hit me the most straight away was. It was the pace that these guys could move at. It's not like walking football. That it, it was. It's fast. It's physical. Um, and the big challenge, like I found initially, it was it was just actually remaining vertical because it's that thing where the ball comes, you try to control it. The other guys try to get it off you, and he's no messing about. It's not like you get time to have a think about what you're going to do. You get barged into. You? you get tackled. It's 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 it is normal football. Just it just happens to be with crutches. So, and even in terms of like. I wasn't sure how to run because I was watching these guys and they had this kind of technique where they were putting, putting their crutches in front and then they're doing a kind of hopping movement and then it was really it was quite a dynamic movement. 
And I'm watching these guys like, I, I can't do that. I, I don't know how they're doing that. So it was a technique, yeah. which actually one of our guys, one of our players, Lee, um, at the, the, next, the actual first party thistle training session, he actually stood me for like 10 minutes and just showed me how to do that. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I need to work out this movement because otherwise I'm just kind of what I am. I am playing walking football, whereas everyone else is kind of playing a different sport almost. <laughs> um, and I say, ah, ah, and you know the thing was about that experience it was intense like and i've never been so tired in my life my whole body was was aching um and we the thing that really hit me when i was there we played the game at the end and i was done after five i i actually during the warm-up i was done to be quite honest with you, you know the other guys are just they barely broke sweat and i'm dying definitely from from my perspective as well you know like i'm i have both my legs and I once broke a little bone in my ankle and was in crutches. It's the only time I've ever been in crutches in my life. And like you say, Mick, like it's it's that you're actually like generally people are pretty slow on them. And you know, yeah. Connor, if, if like if you and I try to go on crutches, you know, it's like the upper body, the, the strain on your upper body of, of taking your own weight, trying to run on them is just it's completely beyond me. So I watch the players playing and I just think, wow. I mean, it, it's unbelievable. And if you know, if you go and Google clips of the you know, the Polish players and the Turkish players who've been doing this for so, so many years. Um, I mean, it's even, it's, it's existed in England now for, for 30 years and you watch them and it's it's absolutely, it's unbelievable. It really, it's yeah. speed that they go at. Um, but yeah, it's, it's alien to me to be able to move like that on crutches. And, and it's a real yeah. technique that I think obviously our players have all now mastered, but I think you can't really appreciate it till you see it. Yeah, I think that's right. And I, and the thing for me was it was the pace. It was also the way these guys could control the ball, how they could deal with people barging into them, people trying to get the ball off them, obviously. Um, technique for shooting this stuff. I'm terrible. Like, I'm, I can't shoot. But um, I, I was just watching these guys. And you, and you were kind of thinking at the time, I, know, I was thinking I'm so out of my depth here, like properly out of my depth. Um, and I also remember the kind of takeaway from, for me from that experience was during the game, I know this is going to sound bad, but I, I wasn't deliberate. I elbowed somebody in the face like one of the opposition because we were doing a kind of training game then and I didn't mean it clearly right but I elbowed the guy yeah. in the face and he went down and I just stopped I'm like right the game stopped now because I've just elbowed this guy in the face now I'm playing defence at that point and one of the, the other players just took the ball off me and ran in and scored and he was like why are you stopping I was like because I just elbowed the guy in the face he said well did the referee blow the whistle and I elbowed the guy in the face I like, well, would that happen in a real professional game would you just stop uh, but I just elbowed the guy in the face <laughs> and it was, and and when we touch on it, we'll be later on. But that 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 was a takeaway from me that you're not treated, you're not disabled anymore. You know, yeah. it's just like it's, it's a free for all. You know, yeah, and you have to be though, tough. It's funny you're saying that because even when you were talking earlier about how you know when when you were born without a leg, and the doctors obviously said to your parents, you were saying they said, "Oh, you might never walk." I think what I'm noticing is a real change in attitudes towards not just amputations, but disability, from the stories I hear from the senior players like yourself and, mm. and Brian, the captain, who, you know, he lost his leg when he was nine uh, to sarcoma cancer. And it was very much almost, he felt ashamed. He hid his amputation. He didn't get opportunities thrown at him in life. If anything, if he did get opportunities thrown, he didn't take them because he was ashamed or embarrassed or thought, no, I've got an amputation, I can't. And doctors may be saying, oh, you won't be able to do this. You won't be able to do that. Mm. Whereas now, I think a lot of the senior players who've started playing amputee football with us are saying, I can. You know, I can't believe it, but I actually can now. But you really notice it in the junior section as well, because nowadays, I think children that are, you know, that maybe have to have an amputation or, or 
or are born with a congenital limb difference, they're always told, oh, you can, you, you will be able to do this. Yeah. And, and there's, a, there's a real shift change in the messages that, that people are given when, when they're young. And it's quite sad that it's taken something like amputee football and people aged, you know, sort of, I think 25, 30 plus, who have come to start playing this to say, oh God, I, you know, I can do this. I could have been doing this since I was young. Yeah. It's taken till now for, for their own mindset to, to accept that and, and embrace it. And I, I noticed a real a real difference in, in the attitudes of, of the, the adults and the, and the junior players. So, but it's good. I mean, it's good that, that, that it's changing. It's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I think I think over the last twenty years in particular, kind of, I think the Paralympics have, have grown in stature so much as well that that's had a, definitely had an influence on that. I mean, from one point of view, obviously, being born with one leg, you don't know any different, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I I play with guys who've actually went through proper trauma, you know. I can since since that I can't imagine losing a limb. I can't mm-hmm. imagine the impact that can have on you emotionally, physically, and all those things. Maybe the guys that play play with us that they, they've literally lost a leg a couple of years ago. You know, and, and through a variety of means. It's not something, it's not a big talking point, I have to say either. We're kind of there to play football. And don't, there is support. I'm not saying there isn't, there is. But you're very much focused on the sport and, and, and the team. You know, that, that that's the main focus. Um, but I, I was certainly, when I was brought up, again, it was mostly for, probably from my dad's point of view. He was like, just do whatever you want. If you want to climb a tree and you fall out, that could happen to some of the two legs as well. Mm-hmm. So it was very much, so I never considered myself it might sound a bit daft, but I never kind of ever considered myself disabled, although clearly I've got a disability, no question about it. Um, but I, I mean, that, that experience in Annan was, was, I mean, actually, I, I, that, if you remember, actually, the one show over there, do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the one show over there. So I, I have had an appearance in the one show, which is a five second fleeting appearance, which was fairly embarrassing, I have to say as well. Mr. Big Time. Mr. Big Time, mate. I'm on your podcast now, so I think I've kind of made it, to be quite honest with you. So. <laughs> Um, so I, I interviewed, and the way that they done it, they, they done it in a kind of strange way because they, they filmed. They said right, we're going to film you as if you've not played yet, and then we're going to film you coming off, like 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 you've kind of finished. So the way they filmed it was, I was done. Like uh, my face was bright red, and I was knackered. I could hardly breathe. Like, and they filmed me as if I was just about to go out to play. And they're like, oh, you look forward to this? And I'm like, Ooh. you know, like just like exhausted. You know, absolutely, uh, just in an absolute state. And then they filmed me later on as if, and I'd now had a rest for 10 minutes. And they then, then filmed me coming off the pitch and like, oh, Jenkins, I'll ever play for Scotland and all that. And by that point, I'd caught my breath and I was talking and I was all right. I thought, they'll use that part of the interview. They'll definitely use that. And of course, they didn't use the part where I could grasp them for breath and I could tell string two words together, you know. So I kind of assumed that nobody watched the one show, to be honest, because I don't watch it. <laughs> and nobody ever really admits to watching it, let's be honest. So, um, and then I didn't tell anybody that I was, I was on for like five seconds or whatever, but I was embarrassed. Um, and I started getting people phoning me and texting me. And so there's a lot of, a lot of people secretly watching the one show. That's all I take away from that as well. So, so that was, that, that wasn't great. We've been quite lucky though. Um, and, you know, as I say, we set up 2017 um, and the best PR gold mine ever happened to us in the week that we launched I've been working on the website and, and and trying to you know register the charity name you know you have to go through all the bureaucracy of setting up the charity and the bank account and everything like that and the week that we launched one of our players Tommy Mackay who's from Dundee um, and a massive Dundee United fan he went down and was picked to do the halftime challenge at Tanadice uh, during one of the matches and he scored and of course, it was captured on TV. And this clip 
of this amputee going down and scoring a goal went absolutely, you know, totally viral all over the world. And the next day, it was in every single newspaper. It was all over social media. And it was like the best, like, PR nugget ever that, you know, it's like, yeah, the week we're launching the, the, the charity on amputee football and an amputee footballer goes down and scores the halftime challenge at Tannadice. It was amazing. So we had all the all the media interest and thing, which was brilliant. And it was a good news story. And he became a bit of a hero for us. He sadly do uh, ill health, can't play at the moment. But it was it was fantastic, wasn't it, Mick? I mean, we just got so yeah. much attention. I mean, you, you say he scored a goal. I mean, it was some goal as well, because it was one of these halftime challenges where you run in from like the, 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 the halfway line into the goal, obviously there's goalie. So they had their subs warming up, so they were kind of watching it. And he comes in and he lobs the keeper from like, I mean, I'm not exaggerating, but it seemed like the 25 yards, lobbed him, you know, and all the, all the substitutes start jumping up and down and going mental. And I think it still must be, you could probably be able to find it on YouTube, but it was just a brilliant bit of skill. And Tommy, Tommy's probably the best player that, that we've had in Scotland. Is His technique is, you can't believe it. He's left footed. It's like, it's, it's like a wand. And I've played against him before and he's, he's just a handful to play against. You know, he's just, he's got good technique, good vision. Yeah, just a right good football, a very good guy as well, I have to say. You know, and it has been a shame because um, he hasn't kept that well in the last couple of years. Um, so we're hoping, I've, I've had some kind of text conversations with him the last few months and hoping that at some point he can get back. But it'll just depend, but he's, he's, he's just a, he's just such an asset to the team when he's there. Um, there's no, no question about it. Um, and from there, I, I mean, the, the chain itself, after we'd done the Anand thing, we went to, it was Patrick Thistle, we went to after that. And it was one of those things where, I, again, that was another, to me, it was another attack in the senses because I, I was quite, again, you're out, out of your comfort zone very much. And I remember, like, the first time I fell over, I thought the world, I thought, like, the world's ended. I've just fallen over, you know? And, like, once you start playing more regularly, you fall over all the time. Like, you're playing in all weather, wind, rain, and all the rest. But so you, you, you slip, you fall, other crutches go from underneath you. But the first time it actually happened to me, we were doing a, I think it was, it was a, a, a I don't think it was a change. It was actually a match we'd done. We, we tend to do matches at the end of the train sessions. And I always remember I went down. And it's hard to get up. Like, see me fall over in crutches. It's hard to bounce back up, you know, because you're trying to kind of figure your... I know nobody can see me doing movements here, but you try to kind of figure, <laughs> you try to kind of figure yourself out and figure out right, how to get back up. And you need to get up quickly because all you've done is fallen over. You need to get back up. And Big Lee, I remember, I, w- I, won't, I won't recount all his language, but the essence was get up you know, just get up type thing. And I was like, and you think about it, somebody in the crutches wandering about the street falls over, the whole world kind of stops. Oh, the poor, poor person's falling over there. It's just, just get up. Don't want to hear it, you know? Um, so again, that that kind of, that, that level of kind of almost normality was was, was was kind of quite something. But even even like, I have to say, like after the first session, I was driving home with my, with my wife, Eddie, and I was like, I don't know if I should, I, I don't, think I should do this. It's too hard. It's, 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 it's too much. And she kind of said to me, and it kind of stopped me, she said, well, if, if you put your youth worker hat on and you're talking to a young person about it, what advice would you give them? And I was like, tell them to do it and overcome it and do their best, you know, which is, is the right advice, isn't it? You know, so yeah. um, I, I just kind of took it from there. Yeah, I think it's you make a good point though about you know when you did fall over and Lee's just shouting get up you know and, and it was stronger that, than that it was stronger than well, that well I, I imagine the language is <laughs> a little bit more colourful knowing Lee yeah. but um yeah but that, that's what I love to see is um that yeah as you were saying earlier the the amputation or, or limb difference it's just not it doesn't come into it 
like you guys don't think even talk about it. I mean, it's just it's just you're there, you play football, and I really see that with the juniors as well. We have a, a really strong and growing junior section. Um, our youngest player, I think, sort of three or four years old, and right up to sort of 14, 15. And um, each year, the European Amputee Football Federation do a camp for all the juniors across Europe. And it's unbelievable. You've got 100 plus young people coming together, different locations. There's been one in Hoffenheim in Germany. Um, it, was, it was over in, in Dublin uh, one year. And it's amazing to see all these young people come together and they don't feel out of place in any way. And in fact, yeah, the, the, the amputation is absolutely by the by. It's, it, that's not while they're there. They're, they're there to play football and all the families are there. And it, it's just amazing. And what I like is that my children, who are quite young, well, age eight and 10, um, they've grown up watching me the last few years um, do this work with, with AFAS. And if they come along to training for a session and they watch my players, they have absolutely no questions at all. They don't notice that anyone's got an amputation because they've become so accepting and, and used to people looking a little bit different, whether it's an amputation or another disability, a mental or physical disability. They are so open and accepting of that, which is exactly what I think it's what we want, you know, in all our children and, and young people coming through to be accepting of, of people's differences. And, and I love that. And I hope that that filters through. And, and I hope that the young people, our junior uh, players in particular, take away confidence from playing empty mm. football and, and a bit of pride that, you know, it, it makes no difference that they've got a limb missing. It doesn't matter. The fact is they get to walk around in their little Scotland strips and do things that, you know, half their peers in their class don't get to do. And, and I love that. And it's the same with the, with the senior players, you know, they're getting to put on their, their, their national strip. Now, you know, most people would love to get the opportunity to, to play for their country at international level. And, you know, you and I, Connor, are probably never going to get to ever do that mm -hmm. in any sport. No. And, and that's, it's, it's brilliant. And that, 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 I mean, the international, I mean, obviously, I suppose going in order, we started in English League initially, didn't we, actually? Yeah. Um, back whenever that was. And I mean, I remember like the first, even the first game I, I, I played, I think it was in Glasgow, if I remember right. We played in Peterson, Springburn or something. Springburn. Um, I, I mean, I've never been as nervous in my life. Uh, I think I've told you this before, Corner, that I do get quite nervous before games. And it, it sounds silly because, you know, there's there's not an awful lot of people watching. I mean, there's, there's it doesn't have huge audiences or anything like that. But you do kind of feel like you, know, you don't want to let people down. You don't want to let teammates down. You don't want to let your manager down. You don't want to let Ashley down. And I know that sounds silly, but you, that goes through, it goes, it goes through my mind a wee bit. So the first time I actually played, I mean, I was, I was so, like, competitively, I was so nervous, like, seriously. And weirdly, at that point in my life, like, career-wise, I was kind of fairly senior in the organisation. I was doing lecture, part, you know, I was doing things that a lot of people would be quite nervous about. And the only thing I can compare it to, the first ever lecture I'd done, I was, I was like, 28, I was working at Strathclyde Uni part-time at the time, and I was terrified before I'd done my first lecture, like, like, properly and I, I just had that and just fun it and it was, it was okay with the great but it was okay and but, but I was dreading it like in lead up to it and all that kind of stuff you know I can remember it quite vividly then over the years as I've done it for you know kind of repetitively you kind of just get used to it and you just settled down you felt better about like you know when you, you first chair, chair your first meeting or you have to do your first presentation you have to do all these you know it's difficult because it takes you outside your comfort zone. Then over time, you get kind of get used to it. So I was doing things that people would probably say, you must get really nervous doing that. And I'd go, I mean, naturally you get a wee bit apprehensive if you're speaking publicly or, or you're doing a lecture or 
to speak in front of groups, which we do in our, our line of work a lot, uh, speak in front of groups. But not really. You know, I've got to a point where I'm, 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 I'm all right with it. I'm, I'm fine. I've done it for long enough. I'm, I'm kind of comfortable. Doing amputee football, although it's not putting, it's not, you're not earning money from it. You're not, I felt a big sense of responsibility. I wanted to perform, I wanted to let people down. So I, I and it's probably something I still need to overcome a bit. It's just like when we play competitively, I still get quite nervous before the games. And I can't compare it to any real as, other aspects of my life, which sounds a bit strange. And I, I do enjoy it. Um, I love the training, but during the games, like it's, it's just a bit like, you just want to win. It's not about, well, I'll just play this, but you want to win. Or at least if you don't, if you're in a position where you, you know, you can't really win, you want to at least compete. You want to put in a good performance, you know. And so it's, it's been so it's been interesting for me that I, we, we talk a lot in our work about unintended outcomes. An unintended outcome for me wasn't to challenge myself in that way, but it has definitely been an unintended outcome that it's helped probably stretch other parts of my life. But I'm like, if I can do that, I can do that. You know, it's it's one of those things. So because um, there's just a reality, I'm not very good at football, right? That that's just that's just the truth, right? I'm. I'm a stopper, I play in defence, play either centre-back or, or, or kind of right-back, depending on how defensive we're going to be off a day. Um, I work hard, I'm pretty committed, you know, I, 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 I'm always at training. Um, and really my job is to get in the way of things and give, give the ball to better players, like Lee and Taz and, and Rob and guys like that, who are just good footballers. I'm not that, and I'm all right with that, because you know you need to understand your own strengths and weaknesses. And I'm, 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 I want to get better, and I think there's still scope to get better. I'm reasonably fit, I need to get fitter as well. Um, but that's kind of that, that's kind of my job in, in terms of thing. But I'm under no illusions about it. Like you know, it's it's, it's definitely that thing where, you know, you're not. I'm not ever going to be like a top scorer. I can't shoot really. I'm not particularly good at that. But I know my role and I know what I can do. And I know there's other better players around me that I can that, that, that you know I get the ball to and they can do their stuff because we do have some really good technical players. You know, we, we need to work on our fitness and, and mm -hmm. various bits and bobs. But um, there's there's definitely that. There's definitely some really good ball players, you know, good technical, you know, players, good vision and that kind of thing. Um, and I, I'm I'm not that, and that that's okay, you know. That that's that's again, you're on a team, you've got different strengths, different weaknesses, and you know, I'm kind of I'm kind of all right with that. I think you're being very modest. No, no, no. I'm not. But, no, you are. But um, I think actually, I mean, our biggest challenge in Scotland in terms of growing the game, though, you probably agree, Mick, is that we're a pretty small nation and trying to get, you know, to get the word out fair enough, you know, we're, we're, I've got a PR background, which is, can, ha can have advantages. Um, getting the word out, it, it's, it's difficult because we've got people coming from all over Scotland to train. So inevitably, a few people are having to travel quite far. Whereas in England, with the, you know, the population being so much higher and the game being so well established, generally if an amputee says, oh, I, I want to try this, I want to look for a, a local team to play for, generally got one not that far away and um, whether it's you know Newcastle or Everton or Portsmouth or what it you know they're, they're everywhere and, and it's very well established and I think our biggest challenge now is getting more players um Covid hasn't helped um at all we've, we've not been able to train at all um, we'll hopefully start back uh this month but it's difficult it, it's difficult getting everyone together from different locations and everyone has their own private lives as well their, their personal lives that they've got other commitments and trying to say right we're going to have a session you know on this date and, and everyone you know, people are having to travel quite far it's it's tricky it is tricky yeah you speak to guys down south that have been doing it for a long time they, they just say that the, the kind of retention rate's not that high so people come and try it and we probably find that as well actually that yeah. people come and try it and and maybe it's just a bit too much physically, or maybe maybe again they've lost a leg fairly recently and they're going through different traumas and different you know issues going on. So there's probably a range of reasons why that's the case. 
Um, well, I would say if you are an amputee, you know, you need to give it a go. Like, first, you know, try it out. If you don't like it, that's okay. We can have, have discussed whether, I think sometimes the way we market is you can come, you could play for Partick Thistle, you could play, we're actually now in the Irish League, but, um, you know, you can play internationally. We've been to Holland, we've been to Germany, or we've been to um, Italy. Um, you can represent your country. And that, for some guys that used to come along, that, that maybe put them off a wee bit because it was about that slight pressure a bit, you know? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. from my point of view, I suppose what I would say to anybody who's interested in it, give it a go. You'll meet a bunch of good people. You'll develop good friendships and that kind of thing. There is a lot of really good people that, that you meet. Um, you'll have a support network of folk who, although, like I said earlier on, it's not, it's not like having the one leg's a big, massive topic of discussion, but obviously, yeah, you know, as as something that is, is discussed at times. Um, and if, if you just want to be in it for a kickabout training, I think that's all right. You know, I think I think we can accept. You know, not everyone wants to go and rep. Not not everyone wants to travel to Ireland to play games. Not everyone wants to, you know, represent Scotland because again, there's, 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 there is some pressure with that. So it's just really what you want off it. Um, and I think if we get people in, it's just it's kind of building it up slowly. I, I think it'd be the way to go. Um, and you'll get some good nights out as well, obviously. You know, the nights yeah, are pretty decent. Um, and I think even if you relate that back to sort of CLD, you know, there was clearly a a, a need in the sporting community for amputee football. People were wanting to play it. There was a need there. And I think we were able to bring about change and meet that need by starting amputee football and, and, and it, um, starting to, to take off. But I think also it does provide peer support as well for, for the players, but also for the parents of the, the junior players who maybe think, am I the only parent out there that's got a child with a limb missing? And you can feel very isolated. They might be the only child at school who has a limb missing. And by bringing all these people together, both the players and parents of junior players, parents can say, oh, have you had this issue? Have you had that issue? And it, it meets that need as well. So it's just that bringing together a community of people with, you know, who have had maybe a similar experience, um, whether it be parents or players, and and it provides that support too. And as Mick says, it, it's not, it doesn't have to be about playing international football and pressure. It can just be about coming along and having a kick about. But you've got a bit of a shared interest or a, or a shared experience that if you want, you can talk about. You don't need to. Most people don't. Most people are just there to play football. And that's absolutely fine. That's that's all we want. Uh, I think the reassuring thing, we've got some of the younger ones come to, like Kayleigh and others, who are, who are hopefully, you know, they're, they're going to be the future of the sport. But even if we manage to get four or five more players, it would make a big difference to like the training. It'd make a big difference to this, like the kind of squad management, and that kind of thing as well. Um, you know, having kind of a, a kind of broader, broader choices, I suppose, would, would definitely be better. Um, but again, that's some. Again, the pandemic's definitely not helped that. You know, because I suppose our concern that we've got is, is people might have drifted, obviously people have drifted away from it. Let's try to get them back. And as I just said, there we've got folk across the whole of Scotland. We've got guys from Newcastle who come up as well. Um, so that 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 is that is quite a challenge, I think, you know. Um, but you know, hopefully, it's something we can kind of overcome moving forward. Yeah, and I think that's really similar to how a lot of um, CLD provisions are sort of operating the, the way they're now. Because I think we've had discussions about that. We know that we've potentially lost a lot of engagement. So now we've got a really really difficult job to either try and build back what we've lost or potentially um, try and bring back the people that maybe have drifted away from us in some way and try and rebuild the relationships. Um, so it's actually it's quite interesting to hear that from this point of view as well, that that's a similar position, that people might have drifted away and it's about how to can we now come back for this. And the pandemic really has impacted everything. So hopefully 
but hopefully as well that with the pandemic, people are maybe itching to get back active again. And maybe people have um, heard that they can maybe come and try and take a go. So where is it that you trade? Is it only one location? Is there a few different places? Um, it's kind of changed a bit. It's usually around Glasgow is, is, is right. where we train, although we've had conversations about trying to kind of move the train. Um, but it just depends because, uh, again, a lot of people have got different commitments, one thing or another. So we, we tend to train uh, either Shawlands or I was Peter Hill for a, a period of time as well. Um, I, I think we probably need to move it about a wee bit um, because like guys from Newcastle, it's, it's, it's quite a big ask for them. We've got like Sir Rob from Dundee, you know, it's, it's a couple of hours. And it's a Sunday morning the train as well. So... Um, which, which tends to actually does suit folk. That's why it was, it was it was kind of arranged for Sunday morning. But we maybe need to think about that just in terms of being a bit more kind of fair to the other ones. You know, it's easy for me. I mean, I, I obviously uh, you know I love the sport and you know I enjoy I love the training. It's easy for me. It's half an hour drive. You know, you know I don't need to be up that early. You know, um, compared to the guys like like Sir Rob and and Lee and, and, and Brian and others who are you know you know you know. Um, I've got a couple of hours drive to actually get here, so uh, no question about it. It's easy for the guys in Central Belt, um, so that's something that you can kind of consider moving forward. Yeah. But I mean, it's a great sport, you know. I have to say that, and, and even having the opportunity to represent your country, you know, with the national anthems going and all that kind of stuff, it's it's it's, it's mm-hmm. you know, at the time you're just a bit nervous about the game, but it's one of these things when you reflect back in it, you're like, pretty amazing experiences. Like you know, really, we talk in CLD a lot about life changing experiences and. You know, when you when you're, you're representing your country, that it does it does have a big impact on you. Like even if you don't play particularly well or whatever, you still glad you're there and representing your country is such a big deal. We went to Italy um, a couple of years back, um, and like we were playing, it's kind of the middle of nowhere, wasn't it? Actually, it was a kind of, yeah. a, a, a kind of hillside town outside Verona, mm-hmm. um, and like. How many people were there actually? I usually exaggerate it, but a couple hundred at least, maybe more. Oh, hundreds, yeah. They brought along all the local school kids as well who'd made oh, banners, man. and it was unbelievable. And it was just, uh, I mean, it was, a, it was a great, it was a really good experience, and the hospitality that, that we got from the, the Italian guys was just incredible, you know? And again, being there and going through that experience was, uh, you know, although we didn't play particularly well and we, we got a bit of doing, um, we also actually played a mixed game after it, which was quite a good experience as well. Um, so you know, again, can I, you you learn by different kind of things. So you learn by playing a different team. And there was things happening in that game. That I was kind of learning from even just like how far you press up the park and your position and all that it was a bit different to how we done it. You know, just just usually. So that was a kind of learning curve to an extent as well. But they, these are these are really these are amazing experiences that you can get. Yeah. Um, I think our biggest problem in Italy was the heat. We, it was yeah. absolutely yeah. roasting, yeah. and to be doing such physical, you know, such a physical activity in that heat for us Scots, it was it was pretty tough going yeah, for you boys. Because the way it worked out, the game was obviously fifty minutes, and it was it was I don't know how it was hot. It was a hot kind of summer's day, wasn't it? Yeah. And it was midday kickoff as well. Was <laughs> probably wasn't the oh, best of the plan. Yeah. Midday kickoff. Um, so we we'd actually arrived the day before. And we went on a train, and the way it worked out, we had to chill through airports. So everyone was a bit knackered, and then we went out for like a night out. But none of us were obviously we weren't drinking because you're playing the next day. You, you, you can't touch alcohol. And but we were out really late, weren't we? Actually, as well, and we were yes. all like we'd been up since the crack of dawn because we I think our flight was like six or seven in the morning. So from Edinburgh, so we were all we were all knackered. And then we done a train session, went out for that kind of done at night. And then, I mean, I woke up the next day just like, oh my God, I need to play international football in a couple of hours. I'm, I'm done, man. Do you know what I mean? I'm absolutely exhausted. So it was funny game. though, you know, going through traveling with the team. Um, I was fortunate enough to, to go out to Italy with them. And, um, you know, going through the airport, I mean, it was, we were all so proud, I think, you know, we were in the, 
uh, Scotland sort of the, the travel gear. And um, but going through security with uh, ten amputees, so you've got like prosthetics and everything, setting up alarms, and you know everyone's looking like you know this huge entourage of, of people in Scotland. Get people, like, you know, it attracted attention. People are looking and pointing, and they're like, "Wait a minute, they're not missing a limb." And I'm like, I felt out of place because I wasn't missing <laughs> a limb. Um, it, it just, which is brilliant. It, it's brilliant. They're probably like, what was she doing there? Um, but it was, it was, it was really funny. But what an experience, like to be, yeah, yeah to, to have the privilege of, of donning the Scotland kit and to, to travel over there was phenomenal. And oh, hopefully was, something we're going to do a lot more of going forward. Yeah. I mean, that, that game, we played the game, so it was always the 50 minutes and it was a hard game. You know, they're, 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 the towns are a good team, you know, so it was a hard, hard slog. And then after it, our gaffer Kev came up to us and said, uh, "You need to play again." By the way, I didn't kind of mention this before, but you need to now play again. And we we're like, "Okay." So that was like half an hour after the game finished, and we're like, "All right." And it was that, but I loved that. I loved that experience again, just just playing with a different team and all the rest of it. But I mean, tired doesn't even begin to describe it, you know. Um, but then we went out that night. We had a cracking night out that night as well, didn't we? We did. We so, did. We had a great time. Um, it was. A, it was. A, I had a rare turn in Italy that night. That was some some stories about that, which probably aren't for. <laughs> this podcast but um <laughs> uh, but uh it was a lot of fun it was a lot of fun so you, you get these experiences as well you know and you know, it must just be such an honor and to like represent your country you know well as it's, it's retrospectively as like at the time you just you've got the national anthem going you're a bit nervous you want to do well and you know the, the international setup in other countries is, is really strong you know what i mean they, they've been well embedded it's been there for a long time so you're kind of conscious that you want, you want to perform, you want to put in a decent shift and all those things. So it's one of these things like after you're like, wow, that's, that was amazing. But like at the time, and I've, I think I spoke to you yesterday, Connor, you kind of see this come out a lot from kind of even professional footballers to say you don't really enjoy the game unless you're winning by a few goals. You don't really, because there's so much going on in your head about, I mean, the only game that we've been really, we've won a few, we've lost a lot of games, we've drawn some games, we've won a few games as well. There's only ever been really one game I can remember where we were, we were won by a couple of goals and we were really comfortable and you could relax. You know, that, that I think there's only been one game that we've been in that position. Um, so uh, every other game, you, you're just like, if I slip or if I, if, I, if I mess up, even going back to, we played a Dundee United against uh, Paddy Thistle game and we were winning by a couple of goals And but Tommy was up front for, for Dundee United and I'd, He'd skinned me in the first half and, and they, 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 mm. he absolutely skinned me. And I'd, I'd actually played not bad in the game, but for that one moment, he, um, he just, he's just a great player. Um, so although we're in by a couple of goals, I'm still like, I need to keep an eye on what he's doing here. You know, he's maybe not got quite the pace he's had before or whatever, but he's, he's still he's still strong, good and all the rest of it. So you're kind of conscious the whole time. You need to be careful what you're doing here. You need to make sure you know, you're covering your man. You need, you need to make sure. So actually during the games, and I've heard professional football say it as well, you don't really enjoy it. Like during it, but you enjoy it, and I love the training, I love all that. But actually, during the game, you've got too much going on, like too much to think about. To actually, fully, like maybe if we get to a position where we're winning 5 0 in the game, you can just knock it about and start doing party tricks. You know, we've just, we've just never been in that position yet. So, it's, it's, it's still in its infancy, it's only four years old, so you've got time to get yeah. to the <laughs> yeah, it really is. And obviously, take a year off that for, for the, yeah. the impact yeah. of COVID. And that's something that I think we do really need to bear in mind. We, we really are in, in our infancy with it. And when I, I've attended um, the European Amputee Football Federation Congress, which they, they hold annually, when all the, the, the nations that have amputee football going on, you know, a representative from each of the country, they all come together, they discuss, you know, rule changes and international competitions, things like that. 
And I sit around that table and I think, you know, we are, we really are so inexperienced compared to some of these other nations who've been doing this for 30 plus years. And I always find it amazing. I don't know if you've ever seen these, if you Google um, images from actually in the Second World War, when, when people were injured and had um, amputations as a result, sadly, um, amputee football was going on then. You know, they, they were playing. Yeah. And, and there's these amazing black and white photos of, of sort of war heroes or whatever who are, who are having a kickabout with their crutches on. And you think, well, it, it goes right back, right back to then. But it's something we've only been doing in Scotland literally for a couple of years. And we've got a long way to go. And, and that shows in the players too. You know, like we're all still, you know, the, the players are mastering the techniques of the crutches and, and the, you know, the, the movement on the pitch. And it's it's something that, you know, we, we really just need to keep training, keep training and, and growing the game here uh, to become more competitive. But I think, you know, yeah, as Mick says, We've lost a fair few games. We've won some, we've drawn some, but it's okay to lose games at the moment because we're up against teams who've been doing this for 30 years. I mean, in, yeah. in Turkey, there's an entire league of um, about, yeah, it's about 600 players. It's televised, they're paid, there's transfers. You know, it's a completely different it's a completely different game, really, to us that are just started and, and, and getting our heads around it. So I think we're doing blooming well for the, for the length of time we've been going. I mean, they say uh, there is um, YouTube footage of uh, Turkey played England in the, the Euros a couple of years ago, and I think they played it in Besiktas Stadium because just amateur uh, football is really popular in Turkey. You, know, you get big crowds at the games, and there was like fifty thousand people went to that game. And I mean, the standard, if you watch that, it's it's off the charts. It's, it's, I mean, some of some of the English boys. I mean, the Turkish guys are incredible as well. But I played against some of the English boys, and some of them. I mean, it's hard to describe how good these guys are. You know the, the the technique, the pace, um, strength, the whole lot, and a lot, a lot of them are a bit younger as well. You know, I mean, I'm people lose legs at different points, obviously. So it's not like you get to my age, which from 43, and you know your your career's over as such. Do you know what I mean? Such as a not a career, but you know what I mean. Um, and it's not really the case because you get guys at different ages who you know are maybe in their 50s or late 40s or whatever. But you do get some guys who are like in their mid 20s. And they're hard to pin down, like you know, when you're my age yeah. and you're running after them and trying to get hold of them and that kind of thing. So that can that can be challenging as well. But goodbye to what Ashley was saying. We have lost a few games, more than a few games, to be fair. I think for us, it's there's a there's a there's, and it sounds silly. You want to be a winner, but there's a right way to lose as well. Yeah. So some games where we, I mean, one game in particular, um, well, there's been a couple, but um, and one of our first kind of experiences down south. Um, we played Arsenal. What happens is when you go down, when you play in England and actually Ireland, you play like you, you don't just play one game, you play three or four games in the day. So you go down once a month or you travel to Ireland once a month and you play three or four games. So we'd played a couple of games, we'd got beat, we'd played not bad, and then we played Arsenal um, and we got annihilated. Uh, I think it was like 4 0 after 10 minutes or something like that. We were just, I was in defence, I was playing set half, and you could have ran a circus through our, our defence that day, that, that particular game, but we were just abysmal. And it was one of those ones where, like, after between that game and our next game, like our manager Kev, who's he's quite a young guy, but he's he's kind of a bit old school. He's, he's been in junior football for a number of years, does coaching. And Paul Kelly, who oversees everything, he's he's been a, a junior football manager for, for years and years. He's a really good guy as well. They just ripped us, and they were right. They absolutely ripped us, you know. And it was like total capitulation, totally unacceptable. You don't ever give up, blah blah blah. And and they really, they are the absolute savages and. I was all right with it because I was like, and we gave a bit back. Don't get me wrong, we were not happy with some of the tactics. We gave a bit back and we had a bit of a, a bit of an argument, let's just say. Um, 
but we were really fired up for the next game. Now, bear in mind, this is our first time, I think. Well, it was my first time travelling. I know it might be an argument I'd miss, but it was my first time travelling down south. And this was the last, going into the last game of that particular day. And we are playing against a team which we were kind of, they were failing you as well. So we, we thought we'd had a, bit, we had a bit of a chance, but obviously we've just been scudded. I think it ended up 6-0 against Arsenal. So your confidence is a bit down. But after the argument, I kind of I was really pumped up like for the next game. And I was like, right, we're going to do this. And the way it worked out, it was it's actually I know you I know one of your questions is about memorable, memorable kind of moments. Probably although we've done international football and we've we've travelled to Holland and we've done lots of Ireland, we've done lots of cool stuff. My kind of top moment was we won that game um in the last minute and it was again Tommy scored it was a corner came in, he scored it was like a, this kind of scorting kick that he'd done. And we scored <laughs> and honestly like I'd almost shipped a goal just two minutes before that. A ball came up over my head and I thought, God, it's fine. But the guy who was up against had two legs. So he just kind of went in. But the way he worked out, he fouled me. And, and I nearly sold the jerseys, basically. So And we were just desperate to win this game. We were desperate to score a goal because we hadn't scored the goal at that point. Thomas scored that goal. You would have thought... I don't, were you there, actually? Actually, I can't remember if you were there. Yeah, I was, yeah. You would have thought we'd won the World Cup uh-huh. just by the reaction. <laughs> of the, we've got managers, coaches, you know, guys off subs. I'm going mental on the pitch. Everyone's going absolutely berserk. And that was just like, it was just such a cool moment. It was phenomenal. It was just absolutely brilliant. So, yeah. But it just shows you the powerful, the, the the amount of power that football has as well and yeah. how emotional it can be and yeah. the highs and the lows. Like you, you went through the, the lowest low getting absolute tore yeah. apart and then after 50 minutes later, how buzzing you are. Like, it's amazing, isn't it? It was incredible. It was the last game. It was, it was the last game. And actually, the guys who were playing, again, they're kind of our level, but we kind of noticed at halftime they, they weren't happy with each other and they were having a punch up. The manager like, "Look, because you, you, we, we were all over them. We had, I mean, it's one of the few games we've had teams on toast. We had them on toast that day. Um, I would, I won't mention the, the team's name or anything like that. Um, so they, they were almost kind of punch up. They were all arguing with each other. And we thought we've, we've kind of got this, but it took us to the last minute to actually score. And it was just that emotional release. And then we, you know, obviously we travelled back in the bus, and um, it just felt really good. You know, it was a really good moment." Definitely. So, what are your plans for future proofing? I know we sort of touched on it a wee bit, but yeah, I mean, I think for us, it's obviously getting everything going again post COVID. Um, as every organisation and club and charity and uh, group out there, I think has that same challenge of trying to get the engagement again and and the the enthusiasm for it, which I, I don't think we'll have a problem with the enthusiasm. Um, in terms of longevity of it and, and sustainability, I think it will be about us setting up more international matches, playing more competitions, etc., and also promoting the game, um, which is where I try to come in. Um, and just, yeah, let, letting more people know about it, reaching out to prosthetics units and, and, and hospital rehabilitation units and saying, you know, if you're out there and you, you think everything's over and terrible because you've lost a limb, don't forget there are opportunities out there. You, you can still play sport. You can still do these amazing things, play for your country, etc. Get involved in, in the camps that we host and, and the games and tournaments. So I think really going forward, it's, it's, it's also looking at the models that other countries have developed and, you know, looking at England where it's so well established and taking advice from them and, and trying to sort of mimic a similar setup up here so that we can just continue to grow the game and get more players and more opportunities. I think it's just about trying to inspire each other as well. You know, it is about hard work. Um, again, talking to guys, you know, who have been in the game for a long time, you know, a lot of, 80% of it's fitness, you know, that's part of it's obviously technique, part of it's tactics and all those things. But in the main, 
if you can get your fitness right, it means you've got clarity of thoughts. So you can actually play better. It's, it's, it's just simple things. And so there's a thing where um, obviously at the start of the pandemic, we were doing kind of conditioning training, one thing or another, but it just kind of fell away just because people, you know, just I think it was just the nature of people, people were at the start of the pandemic were doing more Zoom calls. They were kind of hanging out more, you know, online, that kind of thing. And then people just get bored of it, you know, and just get fed up with it. It's just not the same thing. So, but I do think it's a thing where we need to kind of, we need to kind of inspire each other a bit as well and, and keep each other right. Um, and part part of that is the, the trains every 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 two weeks, but you need to train beyond that. Do you know what I mean? You, you have to, you can't just do, you're not going to ever cut it if you just train every two weeks. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've got an exercise bike. One of the actual joys that I've had at Amity Football was actually um, my dad, me and my dad kind of train well, back, back pre-pandemic, we were training the weeks in between, just me and him. We, we, we got a pitch at, um, at one of the local centres in East Kilbride. They gave me it for a kind of discounted rate because it was just me and my dad. And, and we would train there. And that, that was a bit of a, that, that was a kind of nice outcome as well in terms of empty football because obviously my dad, um, being the football fan that he is, back when I'm like, I couldn't really kick a ball after I was like 11, 12 years old. So he never really had that opportunity. So then he's, he's now 70, my dad. I'm at that point, but late thirties, whatever, and we're, and we're having a kickabout. You know, my dad played junior football actually, so he's not—he's actually got quite a decent technique still. So that was a bit of a kind of—that was a bit of joy as well, I have to say. You know, in terms of just the whole thing. So, but more broadly, yeah, you need, you need to train regularly, um, and I include myself in that. That yeah, everyone I think during the pandemic initially was very at it. Um, I kind of lulled away a wee bit from it probably. So I've, I've been again picking up a bit recently because you, you know it's coming back. I think that's the other thing about team sport. It kind of—it does motivate you. You know, because again, you don't want to let people down. You want to perform. Um, it's not like swimming where you can just swim length and say, I'm bored, I'm chucking this because it doesn't affect them else. You know, it's, it's bigger than that, I think. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it just that's just pure nice. Just what you mentioned about you and your dad having mm. just that extra moment in memory and that never would have happened if then you never took part yeah. in this. So again, when we look at CLD and unintended outcomes, that's creating memories and bonds and... Oh, man, that's pure Absolutely. nice. It's pure nice. No, it's, it has, it's, it's been a... It has, no, it has, it's been, it's been, it's been really good. My dad's came to the games as well. My cousin's been to the games. My uncle, I've got pals as well that have been to the games. So, you know, they are very, very supportive of it. You know, there's no question about it. Um, and again, when you're there, they're kind of like, you want to perform because they're there as well, you know? So there is this thing you've got, um, you feel responsible, you know, and all those kind of things. So, um, but, I mean, there's definitely, there's parallels with CLD. And I'm, if it was, there's no... No doubt about it, you know. Um, and, and a lot of it is about stretching yourself. You know, in, in CLD, we, we do when we talk to folk we work with. You you, you want to you want to stretch yourself, and you, you need to prepare. Sometimes you're going to be disappointed, and you need to overcome that disappointment, and you need to challenge yourself. Um, as well as obviously things about, you know, um, inclusion and health and well-being. Obviously, it's hitting those things as well. Um, so there's there's definite parallels. Oh, definitely is, definitely is. Sam, I'd like to just take us now just to the last question that I stick at the end of every podcast. Um, so if you're both all right, actually, if we'll go with you first, if that's all right, or no, we'll go with Michael first. That, that face. <laughs> go for it. Um, right, okay, so the last question that we add in is, um, what advice would you like to, what advice would you give to someone who's looking to start a career in CLD? I'm like Nick has to go first. Right. Okay. Um, well, I've actually got, I've got I've got two nieces who are looking to get a kind of career on CLD. So, um, and and obviously we know lots of kind of young people who come through the ranks as, as young people and want to volunteer and all the rest. Of it. The big thing I would say is you need to stick it out. If, if you want to do it, you, you you need to stick it out. Going back to when I started, 
um, you know, kind of going to the youth centre and it's like, what do I actually do here? What's my job? And they're like, just go and talk to young people, build up relationships and figure it out. Okay, right, okay. So, and, and I think be prepared for disappointment at the start of that as well. So if you're going into work with new groups, back, back then you'd kind of really busy kind of youth centre. I know the youth centres are kind of different obviously because of the pandemic month and all, but you're really, really busy youth centres. So the first time, I can remember the first kind of couple of weeks of doing youth work, I thought I was hopeless at it, you know, because I would literally, there'd be a group of eight people sitting and I would go up and sit with them and I'm a stranger. You know, I'm only 19. I'm not actually not far from their age, but they're like, who's this guy? Just sat next to us, Aye. you know? So, and then one by one, they would leave and you'd end up sat there yourself and you're like, this isn't a great start, you know? So I'd, I'd go, I'd, I'd, I was, you know, I've been lucky throughout my whole kind of um, career that you've kind of been surrounded in the main by good people, you know, and you've had good support from managers and, and, and colleagues and one thing or another. And I remember speaking to folk and I'm just, and I'm just like, just persevere. But the thing is, if you just go and um, invade their space, you can't be surprised if they walk away from you. So you need to understand, and you know that thing, youth work, you know, went engaged and went back off a bit and it's learning and things like that. So in the start in youth work or any form of sale, it'll go, go, go the same for if you're working with adults or, or doing family learning. It might take a bit of time, um, but it is very rewarding. It's pro, I mean, I, although I'm not, in my current role, I don't really do kind of face-to-face stuff anymore. Um, it might be sometimes now, you know, pockets off it, but um, I really believe in CLD. I think it can be a huge vehicle for change. Like it's as cliched, but I think it's the truth. It's life changing. It's it's life saving. And MD, MD coming into CLD, to me, it's about stretching yourself. It's don't don't just sit in your comfort zones. You're there. You're going to sacrifice about yourself. Well, I heard Jim Sweeney talking about this actually in the first podcast that you're there to meet the learners' needs. You're not there to meet your own needs. And 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 that part of that's about getting your head around it. Um, and, and you need to sacrifice yourself a bit emotionally as well because you go through times where he feels you're not making a difference you know and i was actually watching uh i know we're going on a tangent here but i was watching a documentary last night about uh, obama it's inside obama's white house and he was talking about martin luther king talking about the arc of history is long you know so um you don't always see results straight away so civil rights movements took years and years and years and years to actually make a difference and there's a parallel between that and cld where we've all spoke about it you, you don't realize sometimes the impacts you're making until about later on, you bump into somebody who's a young person that happened to me a couple of years ago, I was in Amberness, and a young person who's a chef then came up to me and says, you're Michael from the, from the from the youthy, you know? And I'm like, yep. I'm like, who are you again? And then he said, oh, you, you, I was involved in this group and that. All right, okay. Oh, that, that made such a way that I end up getting Marie Hess and I'm a chef up in Inverness now. And you're like, okay, I wouldn't have known that. You know, and I, you'll have stories the same, corner, I've no doubt, and, and there's, there's countless folk that have that as well. So you have to be in it for the long haul, I think, you know, and accept the fact that Change takes a bit of time. But what I would say, sorry, Ash, you'll, you'll, you'll get in on a second. <laughs> um, I, I, I think the big thing for me is uh, when I speak to my nieces and speak to anybody who's involved in, in this game and I've done, done kind of classes and that kind of thing, you need to understand your world. You need to understand why the world is the way it is. It's humans that design the world, so it's humans that can change the world. I know it's a bit cliched. Um, we are in, in a very unequal world and we can be a vehicle for change for that. CLD can be a huge influence on how people think and how communities organise. Um, and I think you need to have a sense of social justice, you know, and, and want to make a difference and want to, you know, the world has to be a bit more equal than it is. You know, there's no question about it. And like, don't it's like a Springsteen song or anything like that, but folk need a helping hand. It's as simple as that. And that's what our job is. And some some need more of a helping hand than others. And I think that's all right. You know, and I think we need to embrace that. 
Um, so it is about understanding why the world's designed the way it is and the fact that you can do something about it and you can inspire other people to do things about it as well. Another thing I would say, last thing, last thing in the national, um, don't take yourself too seriously would be my other bit of advice. You know, there's a lot of fun in doing CLD, um, but so, sometimes, you know, you'll, you'll get criticism and you'll have your own person swear at you and all the rest, but you just need to roll with that and just accept it and have thick skin. Yeah, I think from, from my perspective, talking to anyone who was considering getting into, CL, into uh, CLD working, um, Mick, you mentioned their social justice, you mentioned emotional sacrifice. And I think working in CLD, you've got to have a little bit of a passion for it, um, for, for the cause. I think you need to immerse yourself in the cause so you, you actually believe in it and apply yourself a bit more than you might in in another job, for example. Um, I mean, personally, I, I told you that I worked for Finding Your Feet, big national amputee charity. But when I started working for them, I had just had a little boy. He was 10 weeks old and he actually got bacterial meningitis and ended up on life support. Now he is great now, he's eight years old, very healthy little boy, a little bit irritating at times, but I had to see lots of other families in that hospital go through a much more horrendous time because as, as you know, bacterial meningitis is such a terrible, terrible illness and, and unfortunately people often end up losing limbs. And for me, I'll never ever forget the guilt that I felt that my little boy was all right um, and, and while I was relieved and, and it was amazing and I was celebrating that he, he came out of it, I, I, I'll never forget those other parents, those other kids that, that didn't come out as, as, as fortunately as, as we did. And I think that was a huge impetus behind my passion for working for Finding Your Feet and then for launching Amputee Football. And as Mick says, it, it's all about that actually wanting to make a difference. And, and maybe it was my guilt. Maybe it was my experience that, okay, we, we, we all came out well. Monty, my little boy, is, is absolutely fine. But a lot of kids weren't. And I feel that maybe if I can make a little bit of a difference through working with, with amputee football and, and opening up opportunities for them, some of those kids and, and adults who were less fortunate, then it's just making the world a little bit of a better place. Um, and, and I think, yeah, it, it's immersing yourself, giving that emotional sacrifice. And I think that, if, you know, in, in CLD, you talk a lot about the unintended outcomes. And I think there's unintended outcomes for those that you're working with, but also for you working in, in CLD, that there's, there's the unintended outcome that I feel like I'm maybe giving a little bit back saying thank you that, and, and showing gratitude that my little boy was okay, we were okay, and if I can help those that maybe weren't so fortunate through my work in, in amputee football and through my, my job at Ocean Youth Trust Scotland where we work with disadvantaged young people through this work on the boat, if I can give something a little bit back, then that's as rewarding for me as it is for those that the organisation support. Yeah, definitely. And I think, um, thanks for sharing just that bit of, but um, your personal sort of experience there, but I think that's what's really important about CLD is it is really a lot of times it's personal experience, things that have happened that can lead you into this role because um, you do want to give back. A lot of people have spoke um, in this podcast even about what well, I want to give back to the youth worker that maybe um, really supported me. And for me, I wanted to give back to the um, youth workers that supported me and that's why I became a youth worker. That's why we're here now, you know, and I think that's... Um, a massive, massive part of it is your personal experience. And again, just thanks for sharing that, because that, that is obviously really personal. Well, Connor, I just add as well that, I mean, 
and, and CLD, you can make a decent living as well. So it's not the type of job, but it's, it's really low paid. Times have kind of changed now. We've got a professional body, you know. So, uh, you know, as, as, as a profession, you know, so... Um, so from that point of view, that comes with expectation as well, you know. I think, and I think that's okay, you know. And I think we have professionalised a lot in the last kind of couple of decades, probably. I think that's fair to say. I think that's that that that's, that can only be a good thing. Just also to add as well, um, Ashley's made a big difference for a lot of us. So again, on record, we really appreciate it because um, oh, we, we, we wouldn't be doing this. No, honestly, we wouldn't be doing for the likes of um, Ashley and even Brian. Who kind of initially got me into the sport? Um, we wouldn't be doing it otherwise, you know. So um, I know, like Lisa Ashley and even even our manager and other folk, they do a lot of this stuff. They're not getting paid for this; they're doing it voluntary, you know. So, um, so you know, it's not unrecognised. I suppose that's that's something I wanted just to just to say as well. Thank you. Brilliant. So, um, where can people find um, Amputee Football Association on social medias and different things like that? We're on every platform. Um, we're on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, our website is amputeefootballscotland.co.uk. Um, and generally, we we try to post when we're you know going to be having training sessions, etc. Obviously, it's been very uh, quiet as of late because of COVID. But when training all starts again, we tend to post when training sessions are happening and sometimes share photos of the actual sessions themselves. And yeah, I think if anyone wanted to come along, I think they could agree, they should just come and turn up. And sometimes I'll get a phone call from someone saying, oh, I'm kind of interested in trying this, but I'm not so sure. A bit like what Mick felt like um, at, at his first session. And I actually tend to say, do you know what? Just come along and watch a session if you want. You don't even need to join in at first. If you don't want to, come and watch, see what you think. And if you want to grab a pair of crutches and, and get out there, feel free and we've never had anyone come who hasn't ended up staying and playing so uh yeah I, I would say just come and give it give it a bash and it's sometimes quite nice when someone calls me and says oh a few questions about it what I tend to do is actually give them the number for one of the players and I say phone one of the players ask them because they have more of an understanding and appreciation for the game than I do because I I, I have all my limbs and, and I've not had experience of playing amputee football. So it can help if they can they can chat to one of the players if they want and just have a candid open chat and ask some questions about what it involves. But I think Mick you'd agree we're, we're very open. We're always looking for new players and just yeah. coming along and ha having a look is is the best thing to do. Can I just sorry can I just add to that? It's not just for men either. It's um, you know we want to attract more women to the sport. We've had Becca, who's who's who, I think she was the first female amputee footballer in Britain. I think at one yes, point. Yes, yeah. Okay. Um, so it's up, she's had some injuries as well, so she's not really been able to come along with it. Um, so it's not it's not a sport. It's just 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 for men. We want to attract women to the sport as well. Absolutely. No, oh, brilliant. Nice one. Well, thanks very much for joining us today. It's been really nice to get to know more about it. And next game, first game back, I'm going to be there with my banners. You ever know? <laughs> <laughs> and flares, mate. Flares as well. Flares, aye. Oh, go the, go the full way. <laughs> Brilliant. So, thanks very much. Well, thank well, you so much thank for the you. opportunity. Thanks very much to Ashley and Michael for joining me, and I hope you guys have enjoyed this conversation. To find more about Amputee Football, please go to the description where you can find the links to their social media pages and also their website, and make sure you follow CLD Talks on Twitter. Thanks again, and I'll see you next week.